Insights and wisdom lie within every business decision. Welcome to the Leaders by Ivy podcast, where we discover hidden narratives and unlock key learnings for our own leadership and career journeys. Welcome to the first episode of season two of the Leaders by Ivy podcast. We've got a great lineup in store for you this season, including our first guest, Fenton Jagdio, HBA 16, and co-founder, COO at Faculty, a men's cosmetics company. It's a great conversation where we talk about giving permission for self-care and breaking the stigma of men's cosmetics. Fenton, through all of his actions in his businesses, is giving back in a big way. During this talk, I was really struck by how he brings his energy, enthusiasm, and passion back to not only Ivy, but to the communities, businesses that he belongs to. Sit back and enjoy. Fenton, thanks very much for joining us today. I want to dig in and start really at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and what's your relation to Ivy? Yeah, totally, Matt. First and foremost, thank you so much for having me. Um, never never thought I'd be in a podcast for, for the Richard Ivy School of Business, so this, this means a lot. Um, let me, let me, let me take it from the top. Uh, Fenton Jagdio, I'm an HBA 2016 student. Um, I had the pleasure of going to school at Ivy. That's, that's always nice. I currently am the co-founder and chief operating officer of a startup based out of San Francisco. Um, we sell cosmetics, but the spin on this cosmetic company is that it's for men and it has a masculine twist to it. So that's exciting. Um, and I think that pretty much covers it. And we're going to get back to that because I want to learn a little bit more about what do cosmetics for men look like? What does that industry look like? But you've in, in looking at your bio, you made a switch from consulting at Deloitte. I have to ask, what what was that moment or what spurred you to go out at your on your own and, and start your own business and kind of forge out there on yourself by yourself? Yeah, Matt, that's a really good question. And, you know, people ask me that all the time. And quite frankly, I think the answer was time. So entrepreneurship, I think, seems to be romanticized by Western culture. Um, And it's an opportunity to go out and do your own thing and to hopefully make it big. And that's all great and all. But there are some perils to entrepreneurship if you're not, quite frankly, prepared. So when thinking about my jump into it, it was really the alignment of different planets and stars that made it all work. I think the first thing was I, I had enjoyed a you know wonderful career working as a management consulting at Deloitte, um, which has given me I think enough footing to be stable. Um, the second thing is you know I have the privilege of living in Toronto in my mother's basement, which means I don't have to pay a mortgage and I don't have to pay a rent. Um, and you know as far as I'm concerned, I don't have any kids, uh, which also means that there are no dependents in my life. Now. Given that background and given the fact that there was this idea that my co-founder, who's also an HBA grad, um, that we had, you know, the fact that I had no responsibilities, the fact that I'm still young, the fact that I have a stable base to go back to in the event that this completely spontaneously combusts, gave me the privilege, if you will, to jump into entrepreneurship because guess what? If this fails there's only net positive coming out of this. Um, so that that's sort of where it all stems from. Now, do you have family or other uh, people that inspire you that are entrepreneurs? Like how, what, uh, were there anything that led you to say, I could do this? I've got a great example of somebody that I know. Anybody like that in your in your universe? You know, I'll be honest with you, Matt, there, there, there aren't. 
Um, but the, the great thing is, and you know, one thing that we learn at, uh, at Ivy is there are always going to be leaders around you. Um, whether you're reading it in Forbes, whether you're reading it on TechCrunch, you name it, and you start to look at how their careers blossomed and how they jumped to it. And it follows a pretty similar arc. So for me, it was, Hey, if, you know, if Zuckerberg could do this, what makes me completely different than Zuckerberg outside of the fact that I'm not a programming genius. Um, but it, it really does come down to if someone else can do it and I have the capacity to, to attempt it, then why not? I, I think, I think, I, I think in my, you know, hopefully I live for a very long time, but given that the average, you know, male in Canada lives up roughly up until 87 at the age of 87, you know, I, I don't want to look back on my career and say, well, I didn't try the thing, you know, and I didn't try the entrepreneurship thing at a time and place where I had the privilege to do so. So you, you've hit the right time. The universe offered up some opportunities. Let's dig in a little bit to the cosmetic side of it. What inspired you to get into cosmetics and, and namely male cosmetics? And what does that industry look like? For those that uh, don't know much about it, describe it to us. So I, I can talk at length about this, but I'll try to keep it short. The one thing that we've recognized is that the the makeup industry as a whole, the cosmetics industry as a whole is worth half a trillion dollars. Now, that valuation comes from one portion of our demographic, and that's women. Now, if we go back about 100 years and we gave men the permission to wear cosmetics, the value of that market would likely be the same because this thing, this idea of self-care in a way that's more expressive is based on this notion of permission. Now, you fast forward a couple generations and we have Gen Z. We're talking the kids who are owning 30 to 35% of the American buying power. We're talking about the new generation because millennials are completely played out. Nobody cares about us anymore. It's about the Gen Z. And we realize that that generation isn't concerned with this concept of gendered consumption. What they're concerned about is feeling good in their own skin, doing the thing that makes them feel good, and having the tools to do that. So when we think about that as a market opportunity, but then also realize that there is this complete and new social movement happening where masculinity is completely being redefined as not one that's about machismoism and being the breadwinner, but one that's self-expressive and introspective. You start to realize that you can tie these two things together. So what was birthed out of those, those variables is this thing called faculty, a modern grooming company that enables your self-expression. And we just so happen to do it with you know, color cosmetics, everything from a nail polish, which we just launched in July, um, to future products like a concealer, a BB cream. Um, and, you know, we like to say at the company that faculty fits in a box and, and, and you don't. And we're, we're excited about our growth. We're excited about our trajectory. And we do believe that this is going to be the future of what it means to be fashionable um, as a man, as a woman, or as anybody who has to handle this concept of masculinity. So I love the word permission. And uh, you know, you talk about the historical relevance of permission. Is that stigma changing? Uh, you, you notice you said that there's a certain generation that it definitely is, is buying into this idea. Uh, what can we do or what, sh what other organizations do we look, should we look towards that is changing that stigma or does it even exist anymore? So the stigma definitely does exist, but it's, it's shifting. And it's changing. And in the same way that fashion is adopted over a two-year cycle, 
Or you might see somebody wear a shirt on a Paris runway. Two years later, it's in your local H&M. The same way that these trends are being adopted. And we don't even have to look at it. We don't even have to look at organizations. Where we have to look at are the people who hold influence. So a, a, a great story that I have is thinking about you know one of my favorite rappers, Snoop Dogg. Now, for those who don't know who Snoop Dogg is, Snoop Dogg at one point in his career was one of the hardest rappers out of Compton. Okay. Now, fast forward 20 plus years, and he's being and he's getting made fun of by 50 Cent for having French tips on his finger. This is a classic example of somebody in a very male-oriented, um, heteronormative industry like the raps game, who is an OG, for lack of a better term, and has completely shifted his own personality when it comes to expression. So looking at the Snoop Dogs of the world or the ASAP Rockies of the world or the Timothy Chalamets of the world, all these celebrities who are influencing a whole new generation of consumption, but a whole new generation of thinking, that's where we, we get our inspiration from. And, and, and it's these network effects that are so incredible to watch as they proliferate across you know, North America, seemingly already proliferating in Asia uh, and watching that happen. Um, so, so we're, we're excited about that. And you also used the term self-care, you know, it's coming up as we think about meditation and mindfulness and eating well, how does faculty, uh, relate to self-care and, and talk a little bit about what does self-care mean to you and your organization? Um, I, I, I like to say this thing, um, at the company where if I look good, I feel good. And if I feel good, that in turn enables me to do the thing that I do best. And part of that is the struggle between having a positive mental being and having your mental health at, at a state where it's a one. So if we think about that as a derivation of what it means to take care of yourself, I know that when I look good and I feel good and I can do good, then part of our mission as a brand is to make people feel good so that they can be themselves and do the best that they can in whatever job role or organization that they are playing in. And that's what makes us excited. Um, and part of the reason why we also donate some of our profits um, to organizations that are helping to increase awareness around mental health and, 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 and awareness around being good and being good to each other and being good to ourselves. So, you know, Matt, you, you, I mentioned earlier this idea that cosmetics is going to be an extension of who we are and how we look and our branding and our imagery but it's also an extension of how we defend against the mental perils that that impact us as people, as personalities, um, you know, and 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 as viable, productive human beings. I love that you mentioned that you're giving back. That's something that that Ivy preaches in the classroom and and outside the classroom. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. You know, tell us a little bit about some of those organizations that you're supporting, because that's maybe uh, a listener wants to get involved or or support them or utilize some of their services. Who who are you guys giving back to? Right now, we are uh, partnering with an organization called the Crisis Text Line. The Crisis Text Line is a free twenty four seven text line to chat with a counselor in times of, of crisis, of potential suicide, of depression, of any way, shape, or feeling that makes you not feel yourself. Um, and it's very simple. You text the word HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741741, um, and you get in touch with a counselor. Now, for us, again, we, we have this idea and this manifesto that we want to be the brand that helps you find yourself. And we're cognizant that 
not every person has the privilege or the ability to find themselves because of cultural backlash or religious tension. And we want to ensure that we are assisting in any way that we can as a brand, but also giving back to those organizations. And I think the second area that we're giving back into is to organizations and um, entities and think tanks that are helping to progress the voices of equity. Um, you know, it's I, I would be remiss to say that the issues happening in the U.S. around you know the killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the mental incarceration, if you will, of people that identify as Black, Indigenous, or persons of color, LGBTQ plus, um, you know, as a, as a group that's different than than what's seen as 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 likable or the norm, you know, it's 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 difficult finding themselves, and and we want to also ensure that we're generating some revenues and, and pushing those revenues towards these organizations that are helping to create a more equitable planet because we believe in one where we can all live in harmony um, and celebrate each other's differences the same way that as a brand and, and as faculty believes, we all have our own unique personality and we can shine through um, based on what we're trying to do with our business. It, it's really clear to me listening to you speak about the organization and those that you work with. This is a huge part of the motivation for, you know, starting this business and motivating you to to give back. What else are you finding right now that is motivating you? That that's pushing you to to grow and drive this business and think about starting others. Where do you get your inspiration from? I get my inspiration from people, honestly, and I. You know, I, 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 I recognize that I am a happier person when I am helping other people. So in addition to what I'm doing with faculty, you know, I have the privilege of serving as a board director for the largest urban library system in the entire world. That's the Toronto Public Library. Um, you know, we are we are a one, you know, we have 105 locations across the city and we service um, Toronto, but also our neighboring cities. Um, you know, Brampton, Mississauga, Hamilton, because all those patrons do come to the library. And I, I have the also the esteemed pleasure of, you know, being the chair of the strategy planning committee. So as a lead for that, how do I ensure that our next five years is, is going to be one where we help people, right? Whether it's how do we help new immigrants to Canada who may not have a computer or a smartphone to ensure that they have the technology that they need to succeed? Or how do we ensure that we've got all the literature that's required to help people feel as though they can operate in a new world where the future of work is completely changing how we do things? Right. And, and it's, this, it's this idea of helping people that just you know, gets me going the same way that, you know, Matt, I was, I was mentioning to you, you know, earlier before we started the call that I have some colleagues in mind or some colleagues and I were going to be you know, building out a, uh, you know, one of the most cost-effective transit agencies um, in North Africa. Um, one, because we believe that if you spend a dollar in transit, you 4X the economy. Um, but most importantly, we get to move people. And we get to prove that that moving people is what will help reinvigorate uh, the economy in a place that is going through some political change. Um, from that to trying to mentor and I have, I have a colleague, a fellow HBA in mine, uh, and I. We uh, we recently started this. Uh, call it an organization. Call it a call it an overglorified list. But this thing called the BIPOCMentor.com, um, where we are seeking all Western and Ivy graduates um, who, you know, look at themselves as Black, Indigenous, uh, or other people of color, and saying, "Hey, you are leaders in your own right." 
there are other students who want to be where you are. It's so difficult to find mentors, especially mentors who who look like us. You know, how do we how do we make that connection? How do we how do we hook these students up with leaders who share similar cultural values and can empathize a bit more on the struggle to to find a career and to and to work their way up into the world? And we're excited by you know where we've gone, and we're excited by the 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 amount of people who are interested in helping and. You know, we have our other schools reaching out to us to build their own chapter. So in, in a number of fronts, you're creating spaces and creating conversations that are really important across organizations in the classroom uh, as well. What else do you think uh, for uh, for those that are listening, the importance of giving back, especially as n- now, as you've mentioned, a, a lot of the things that are happening throughout Canada and in the U in the U.S., what else can people be thinking about doing or getting engaged with with regards to uh, BIPOC issues, for example? How else can we get involved? Get involved in any way, shape, or form. If, if you don't have a dollar to spare, then spare some time to an organization. Help them with your skill set. If you do have a dollar to share, find an organization or a think tank that's progressing the voices of others. And if you don't have the resources and you don't have the dollars, then maybe you have the friends. And encourage them to think about how they donate their own mental time to thinking about these issues and progressing them forward. There's no such thing as one way to do right. And, and you know, we're often, I think as a society, we often think, well, big business and government is going to help us. But even still as an individual, you have the ability to impact millions of people um, with, with a click of a button, with the, with, with, with the signature on a piece of paper. And that's so powerful. And the more we recognize that even as an individual that's maybe isolated, we still do have the ability to impart change on on millions of people and entire generations. So just get involved. So get involved, find the resources, share, and just have those conversations. Have what could be a difficult conversation, but have them, have them. Have those difficult conversations and learn from those difficult conversations. And, and that in itself, you know, creates this network effect of knowledge. Because the one thing, look, and, and I, I try to explain this to some of my colleagues too, who are, who are worried that, well, they can't make a difference or they don't have the ability to, to make an impact. It's think about it selfishly. If you have these conversations, you have the ability to impact the lives of people who don't have the same equitable converse or the same equitable opportunities. If those people have the same opportunities and have a level playing field, they allow themselves to get involved in the economy. They can get good jobs. If they have good jobs, they're less of a burden on the healthcare system. And guess what? Your taxes go to the healthcare system anyway. So if, if, if there's no, if you don't think altruistically, then think selfishly. And, and, you know, you know, contrary to what people might believe it, that's an okay approach, but understand that if you help others, you're, you're effectively helping yourself. So we've got students that are sitting in the classroom right now, sitting in the seats that, uh, that you sat in as an Ivy student. Uh, what other advice do you have for that student that may wish to follow in your footsteps, creating a company, giving back, uh, getting involved in the community, anything else that's major that you go, I really want them to hear this message. Yeah. Uh, just do it, Nike. Um, and, and, and I mean, that's a slogan, but let me, let me, let me break it down further. We, we lose precious moments of execution when we think. And, and don't get me wrong, like, you know, I, I went through the ringer. I, I did strategy in, in third and fourth year, and I know what it means to put together something comprehensive, something cohesive, something well thought out, financial model, everything's ready to go, right? But the problem with that is that that deters action. If you have an idea, 
if you have a goal, if you want to do something, just do it and do it for you. Don't think too much about how you're going to do it. Don't think too much about whether or not it's feasible at the moment or if it's viable. Just go and execute it. And what that will do for you is create enough momentum to drive you forward. The minute you start questioning yourself or you're questioning your, your credibility or your capacity to do something, which I know entering HBA was very difficult because I've got all these incredibly smart people around me who know so much more than me and the level of intimidation is at an all-time high. You know, when you think too much about all these things and you're, and you're constantly planning, it slows you down. So just do it. Do something small. Do something that you'll be proud of and do it for you. And as you, as, as you start to go onto this path of execution, you'll realize that the ball's rolling. It's in your court and you're going quickly. So just do it. Don't be afraid. Um, and, you know, for those interested in entrepreneurship and the stars align for you too, just do it. Don't, don't be fearful of the end results because no matter what, you're going to get out with a net positive. So you've, you've given us a little taste about what's coming up next for you. What do you have uh, next in line? What are the next one or two projects that you're really psyched about and you want to move on to? Uh, give us a little taste about what's what's to come. So I mentioned the BIPOCmentor.com. That's that's a big thing for me. Um, as we start to grow as a an organization, I think there's going to be a great opportunity to to help students across Canada. And hopefully if this grows big enough across the U S and finding mentors that look like themselves. Um, and you know, outside of that, the majority of my time, my thinking and my breathing is with faculty. So thinking about how we go out, for example, in the next couple of months to raise our seed round on top of the pre-seed round that we raised last year, um, thinking about how I, you know, incentivize my employees and make them feel as though the mission is, is worthwhile. And, you know, how do we do good job as, as leaders, I think is, is where my energies is being put to. Great. I want to talk a little bit about challenges. In the previous season, uh, folks shared a lot about, you know, not only what was going well, but shared in some of the things that were challenges. Can you talk a little bit, whether it be your transition from uh, Deloitte, the starting up the company, thinking about new companies, what has been the most significant challenge that you've faced and how did you respond to that challenge? You know, going back to this idea that we glamorize entrepreneurship um, and, you know, it's nice to raise money and it's nice to lead a company. But but here's here's one thing that, you know, I don't tell people very often is I left the comfort of a large consulting institution to effectively build a startup from the ground up with minimal funding during a pandemic where we were forced to make very difficult decisions on how we structure our company, where we were forced to deal with an environment where investors weren't looking to give capital to new companies and instead were looking to prop up their own portfolio. We built or we started to build a company in an environment where there were naysayers on the path of what we believe is an incredible trend happening now and still naysayers. So you've got antagonists um, from every walk of life, if you will, um, coming at you. And it starts to impact your mental health. It starts to impact the way that you think. And the biggest challenge is how do you manage all of that, right? The stress of failure, the stress of not having enough, you know, food on the table, the stress of wanting to raise money, but no one wants to talk to you, not because your idea is terrible, but they, they just can't. And the fact that you've had to restructure your company at one point, lay people off who have 
effectively left their prior lives to build something with you. And it's, it's tough. So the mental stress that comes with building a business is, is something that I think needs to be recognized because it's not easy. How did you, at the end of a stressful day, um, manage that? To, so that you could go in the next day and have, you've got great energy. You're, you seem to be a very positive person with a positive outlook. I'm sure you didn't ignore the naysayers because there's sometimes there's some nuggets in there that we can take to, to help grow the business. But how'd you manage it? Yeah, I think three things. I think the first is making sure that my physical being was, was in a place that I can continue to do good. So I always make it a point to exercise. I will always cut out an hour of my time to exercise. And my co-founder hates it because he'll, 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 he'll try calling me and I'll be like, no, I'm, I'm lifting something. I, I gotta, I gotta call you back. This is my me time. So first is like making sure that my, my physical temple is in a good place that I can practice. The second thing is have your therapist and by therapist, I mean your best friend. I mean, your significant other. I mean, somebody that you can talk to where you don't feel judged and you can just lay it out on the table where you can yell, you can scream, you can talk about your fears and potential disparities where you can cry to. And I think having that ability to just be yourself and to be fully cognizant of your own emotions will help. And it's so important. And, you know, going back to this conversation about masculinity, right? Masculinity is now moving away from a show of dominance. So I'm, I'm trying to practice what I preach in, in the products that I sell and the value proposition that I'm building. And I think the third thing is reminding me, reminding myself, reminding my team that what we're doing here is beyond us. And it's for a good cause that we know is so powerful. And, you know, Matt, I, I, part of the reason why we wake up every morning to do what we do, part of the reason why I wake up every morning is the direct messages, the text messages that we get from people who no idea who's running this company, but for some strange reason, love the fact that we are breaking down the walls of toxic masculinity or feel so at home with a brand like faculty because no other brand makes them feel the same way. It's these messages from genuine people who are advocates for our brand, but advocates for the social mission that make me feel like, you know what, if I have a bad day today, there's always tomorrow because these people are counting on me. And there's so much more powerful than that. And you got to just remove yourself from that. So make sure your physical temple is in tip top shape. Make sure you know that there's somebody you can speak to call it a therapist, call it your mom, call it your, your, your significant other, whoever that person is, to just be as emotional and raw with. And remember why you're doing this. Remember all the right reasons. And hopefully that trifecta, if triangulated correctly, will, will lead you to victory. But just, just because I you know, fuck anybody else's life up based on that, don't you know, take, take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> no. And it's, and it's sharing that with your team too, right? You've got, you've got the messages coming in, man, those are motivating not only to you, but for others around your team. So it's, it's great that you're sharing that and, and sharing it across your organization. You've, you've talked about some of the things that are getting you up in the morning that you're passionate about, uh, a BIPOC initiatives as, as one example, the, the library, Toronto library, uh, for those that are Ivy grads thinking about giving back to the community and volunteering how did you start that process? Because I'm sure you didn't jump into your role immediately with the with the Toronto Library. You know, how did you how did you start that process of finding the right fit for you to give back to volunteer? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting story. Um, so I have been I've been politically active since I was 14 years old um, in the city, 
um, and in the province and, and federally also. And part of the reason why I wanted to jump into politics was because in in my civics class, you know, we were told that if you were if you wanted to make the biggest impact, you know, you want to jump into some form of political realm. So I remember my first volunteer opportunity. Um, it was with a political party here in Canada, and I was knocking door to door, just ensuring people knew what the message was. You know, the MP that we were representing, and and, and going from there. And I was I was completely elated by the opportunity, and continued throughout my my tenure as a Torontonian to get more involved in social issues because I, I made this connection between if I can if I can help a ward or or my province or, or this country be a better place for all, then it'll be a better place for me. Um, and, you know, you go through life meeting people and, you know, for example, I, I, I recently, the most recent, um, political thing I was involved in was helping, uh, John Tory, who's the mayor of Toronto get reelected. Um, I was part of his war room and, and sort of, um, helped advise on, on, um, economic and, and innovation, um, issues, if you will, and compiled all that stuff into a binder for his debates. And I also did some spying for the other candidates. So, you know, you, 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 uh, you, you are spying on, on behalf of the team on the other candidate. Um, but you, you get involved, you meet people and you start to realize that there's all this great change you can make. And there are all these organizations that are looking for talented people. You just have to go and look for them. Like, I don't think people realize that there is a whole website that you can go to right now that showcases every open available board position in Toronto on a public realm. Yeah. Find a passion, uh, be willing to give back and ask questions and maybe start in a role that, you know, you may not be heading a committee yet, but you know, get, get out there, get involved, follow that passion. Exactly. But, but, but actually have a passion, right. And that's interesting. You mentioned this idea that like, you know, you're not going to be the head of the organization or the member of the board, but again, do it for the right reasons. Right. If you, if you eventually prove yourself and you get to a position where you are making decisions on behalf of, of a constituency, terrific. If not, knocking on doors is still quite okay because you, you are still making a difference in the eyes of your, your political um, affiliation. Yep, exactly. Fenton, I want to uh, just take a moment to thank you for being so open and honest with, you know, how you as a leader are making sure that you're in tip top shape, for example, both uh, mentally and physically talking about uh, what has worked well, what have been some of the stressors and the challenges of of getting into entrepreneurship. Uh, You've mentioned a number of organizations that you're involved with either personally or professionally through faculty. We'll make sure that we try to get some links up to as many of these. Any parting thoughts for the listener? We've got current students, we've got alum, we've got business leaders around Canada that are listening. Any final thoughts you want to leave them with or, or charge them with, uh, with going out and doing? Here's, here's my parting advice. Don't be afraid. If you're, if you're a student and you're new to the HBA program, do not be afraid to raise your hand for participation. And even if you say something dumb, no one's going to remember tomorrow. If you are a big shot business leader who's made it in life, don't be afraid to do something that's not the status quo. Don't be afraid to disrupt the industry or the company that you are running for the sake of something greater. If you are a future entrepreneur or thinking about doing your own thing, do not be afraid of setbacks or failure or the possible social repercussions. Just don't be afraid and do things for you. And I promise you, you, you remove fear as uh, an antagonist and 
the only there's only positive that comes out of any initiative, any activation, any thought process, any new structure of thinking that you want to employ on yourself. So just don't be afraid. That's fantastic, Fenton. Thanks again for the, what you're doing to give back and for spending some time with us today. No worries, Matt. Always a pleasure. Um, hope I didn't talk too much. Thanks again to Fenton for joining us. What stood out to me were a couple of things. Firstly, there's no one way to do right. So follow your passion and do it your way. Finally, if you're looking to get involved like Fenton does, make sure to visit your community website for lots of great postings and resources. Join us for the next episode of the Leaders by Ivy podcast, where we explore the leaders and businesses that shape our communities. Bye for now.